0: Thank you for listening and welcome to Variables Unknown Podcast. This is your host, Ed Angelis, together with Dr. Noel Miranda. Join us as we explore and uncover the unknown variables. In today's podcast episode, we'll be discussing a very interesting topic about renewable energy. Let's get started. For this particular episode, we have invited two renowned experts on renewable energy and biomass initiatives, a seasoned biotechnologist who has been instrumental in securing energy grass conversion to biofuels using third-generation technologies, and also the President and Chief Executive Officer of SECURA, International Corporation, Engineer Danny Manayaga. And we also have the former director of the Agricultural Biotechnology Support at the Cornell University, where he directed a USAID funded project with an objective to commercialize genetically engineered crops for developing countries in Africa and Asia Pacific region. And he's also the managing director of SECURA International Corporation, Dr. Frank Chutkowski. It's an honor and privilege to have you, Danny and Frank, and welcome to Variables Unknown podcast.
1: Good day, everyone. Uh, Thank you for having me
0: on this show.
1: Yep. Hello, everyone. It's a pleasure to be on. Thank you very much.
0: Let's probably start by defining on what is renewable energy and its value proposition to our society and the economy.
2: Renewable energy, often referred to as a clean energy, comes from natural sources or processes that are constantly replenished. Uh, Examples are geothermal, hydropower, ocean, solar, wind energy, and bioenergy that comes from mostly biomass. Um, It offers uh, employment, uh, additional employment in the in the countryside. Wind and solar and hydropower produce little or no air pollution, so that is uh, good for our health. And uh, e- some other uh, energy technologies are very resilient and can be uh, ex- uh, scaled up to commercial. Uh, uh, set up and uh, it will enable access to energy to everyone. There are about 1 billion people in the world still lacking uh, access to electricity. Well, renewable energy can provide decentralized or off-grid solutions to create uh, jobs and and provide electricity locally.
3: Uh, That's good. Uh, Danny and Frank, um, where do you think we are now in terms of adoption of renewable energy, uh, particularly in the Asia Pacific region? And where do you think we are heading?
1: Well, I'll I'll take that. uh, we're, We're trying to go in the right direction. Um, some of the countries, Thailand, uh, Malaysia, Indonesia, are a little bit further ahead. Uh, the Philippines is trying to come in. The, the limitation has primarily been uh, finding investors to invest the money into it. And, and the uh, uh, this considerable uh, use of coal already in the country, coal and then diesel for power. So there's, there needs to be some policy changes or policy uh, decisions made that are gonna be more conducive and more positive. The Philippines is a wonderful place to use it. Most of Southeast Asia is a wonderful part of the world for doing renewable energy. It's a tropical environment. So biomass is, is very viable. It's one of the most viable places in the world for uh, doing renewable energies. There's also wind, solar, and hydro, and geothermal. This is, Most of these countries are on the uh, ring of fire. So geothermal is also a very uh, uh, critical one. So the potential is huge. For the renewables to replace the coal and the oil type uh, non-renewable energies, um, and I think it's going to happen. It's going to happen quite fast. We don't have a lot of time before the world is going to be running out of these these uh, non-renewable type fuels. So, uh, Danny, any, any other comments?
2: Yeah. Uh, well, for Asia and the Pacific uh, together, comprise a, a large, uh, diverse, and dynamic region of the of the globe with 4.5 billion people living in 58 markets, ranging the world's largest energy consumer to small island economies that are among the most vulnerable in the impact of climate change. The region accounts for more than half of global energy consumption, with 85% of that regional consumption coming from fossil fuels. But... uh, uh, Today, uh, as of 2021, the International Renewable Energy uh, Agency have recorded that Asia have produced uh, renewable energy about 48% share of the global renewable energy uh, production. So, But the the largest is uh, in China. They've been uh, dominating around 40% uh, 40%, uh, uh, more than the other countries combined, including the United States. So Asia and the Pacific is moving and go ahead uh, faster than the other countries in the world.
0: I understand, the uh, engineer Dan, that you're presently engaged on biomass initiatives. Would you mind walking us through this remarkable journey and give us an idea on what is this all about?
2: Well, in before 2008, uh, when the Renewable Energy Law was passed, our company was already involved in uh, uh, plant uh, communicating with the farmers. We were looking for uh, landowners who can plant for us uh, malunggay for uh, seed production. Uh, And we found out that very few uh, farmers are utilizing fully their their land. And it also showed that the uh, indigenous people uh, own vast areas of idle lands that were not being used so our focus at that time is to provide uh, biomass fuel for the renewable energy uh, the project of the government and that would include talking to landowners uh, indigenous people who have vast areas of land so at first, we were looking at the best candidate for uh, biomass uh, growing. So we compared uh, several uh, grass that was available uh, in the country. Uh, we uh, used also the Pakchong grass and the Banana grass, and compared with the isolate that we have uh, taken. From a nearby riverside in Hingog City, Misamis Oriental. And we compared them uh, side by side in various tests like uh, fertilization, uh, acceptability, drought, and the biomass production per unit area. Uh, fortunately, after uh, four years of testing, we were able to conclude that the isolate taken from Hingoo City was the best performer. So we sent sample to the Institute of Plant Breeding at University of the Philippines Los Baños to do the fingerprinting, comparing with the other isolates. And it showed that this is unique uh, uh, DNA sequence than the others. So we uh, sub, uh, supplied to more than 100 uh, farmers cooperative. We provided them seedlings to grow in their uh, nursery. And in uh, 2015 we uh, landed a, a joint venture agreement with Lamson uh, Holdings to set up the Maguindanao Energy Farms Incorporated. This uh, farm provided the fuel for a 15 megawatts uh, biomass uh, power generation facility. It's it's, uh, the old technology of burning biomass, but it provided a sustainable supply of fuel. So that showed us also that it has really a good potential for commercial uh, plantation Uh, we did not uh, replant any area since 2016 up to now and it continuously is uh, ratoon growing after you harvest so and it is not invasive Uh, it just stays there in the area that you planted so this is a very good candidate for uh, other projects elsewhere in the in the country or in asia pacific region
3: yeah, that's interesting uh, dr frank uh, you're currently engaged in, in, in biomass uh, renewable energy initiative perhaps you can share with us your side of the story uh, particularly your main influences on pursuing this uh, unique
1: endeavor okay <laughs> thanks uh, Noel you know most of my experience throughout my whole life has been in agriculture I grew up in uh, a farm and ranch in Nebraska in the United States I'm um, most of my interest uh, in college even was it was in agricultural stuff. I'm, I'm a, actually a genetic engineer of biotechnology. I, my PhD was studying uh, the, the uh, molecular biology of the ability of uh, 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 mosquitoes to transmit malaria. And so I've always had this interest to stay in, in the, uh, agriculture. So, so after finishing uh, my PhD and doing some work in the, actually in the medical field in gene therapy work, uh, I joined uh, <clears throat> Novartis and then Syngenta, where I managed and developed genetically engineered crops for uh, commercial use in mostly developed countries. But a lot of it was in mostly cotton, corn, soybeans for insect resistance, disease resistance, drought tolerance, uh, actually, and even uh, cellulose, uh, increasing cellulose content, which I always found to be interesting. Um, Then, when when I actually had the opportunity to to join Cornell University to be a director of this big USAID-funded project to bring agriculture biotechnology to Africa and Asia, and that project really uh, sent me on this track. Uh, I was spending a lot of time working in developing countries where, like Danny mentioned before, there's a lot of people out there, millions of people out there that don't have electricity, and when I was working in many of these countries, including the Philippines, um, I actually had the opportunity to just meet lots of these kind of people. And we were, these are the people that we were really trying to, to help using our genetically engineered crops. And um, when that project did come to an end, about the same time, I was actually introduced to this genetically engineered, or I mean, this, uh, this hybrid napier grass that we use for uh, converting it uh, to bio, bio coal biomass bio, uh, bio uh, gas. And so um, <clears throat> I actually pursued the idea and, and I was finally told I needed to go talk to to Danny Maniaga about this. And it turned out that he already done all the stuff that I wanted to do. So it was like, I think we should just join forces. And so um, it, at the same time, I had some other really close colleagues who were, you know, in the same sort of field I was, who were moving to renewable energy, particularly with algae, uh, genetically engineered uh, crops and things like that. But um, so with me, I saw this napier grass as being, you know, as prolific as it was, and as productive as it was, just too good an opportunity to walk away from. This is just, you know, this is something that that people in the Philippines, people of Asia really need um, to reduce their emissions uh, from fossil fuels. Um, It's a a, a wonderful plant, you know, has all the things in it that I was interested as a scientist. It it sequesters carbon. It has the, you know, potential for being uh, improved Considerably, You know, with the CRISPR-Cas9 technologies nowadays, we can make these crops more water tolerant. We can make them more uh, or drought tolerant, I should say. You know, so far we've been fortunate. We haven't had any insect or disease problems uh, come up into this particular crop. So, you know, it, it's, there was just a lot of positive things about it. And it's been a long haul. We've been working on it, but we're finally getting uh, the visibility uh, that it takes to uh, make this, this system work. So that's that's really how I got into this whole thing, um, going from being a uh, sort of a lab scientist to a or an invent scientist to a you know product development guys doing genetic engineering and uh, crop you know your typical crop plants to now uh, you know working on bioenergy or renewable energy. Okay.
0: From your perspective, uh, Engineer Dan and Doctor Frank. What are the things we are doing effectively well and things that we can improve further in the context of renewable energy?
2: Okay. Uh, in the Philippines, there are more than uh, 340 megawatts of biomass uh, power plants installed, mostly using uh, rice uh, hulls. No, um, Only one... Uh, company uh, y- using napier grass at the moment, but many are planning to do it. Um, the the experience that uh, we had uh, using napier grass is a very sustainable uh, fuel supply. But in some areas where they use rice uh, hulls or uh, some other uh, agricultural ways. That supply is not uh, sustainable. Uh, uh, sometimes uh, it's not enough to run the full capacity of the plant. So therefore, uh, and, and the performance of the crop in areas where there were no uh, use of this land for food production they, uh, the, the grass perform very well. So even without irrigation, with minimal fertilization, you can still get the yield that you want. It can really support a, a base load power plant that provides 24 by seven. And it's good income for the farmers. And also there are more people who can uh, get a job from from the plantation as well as in the uh, power production. So I I guess I would suggest that uh, of those who are listening and planning to put up a a power plant, don't look at solar because solar also uses uh, land. So instead of using that uh, land, you share that with the farmers, the landowners, to have a sustainable income, and you can provide base load power. Solar you have only six hours a day to provide the power, and the investment goes to more on the battery uh, setup. So uh, to, to encourage more for a uh, uh, biomass power plant, you plant uh, our, our grass.
3: Yeah, um, Engineer Dan, you made some good points there. Um, now, uh, to both of you, uh, I'm interested to know uh, what are the challenges you you have encountered uh, in your respective, you know, renewable energy activities, and what are your relevant takeaways from these experiences?
2: Would you take that, Frank? Our experience with uh, some power companies, who, when we show the video of uh, our equipment harvesting this large spill, they don't believe it's in the Philippines. So, <laughs>
1: yeah, well, uh, sorry, that- I did my mute on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <this is> correct. <laughs> Matter of fact, we we've had one of the major, uh, a, a, a big player here. We were. Convince, trying to convince him to use our napier grass as a uh, biomass for some of his uh power plants and we showed him the, the footage we showed him the films we showed him all the stuff and he swore to god that this was, this had to be in central america somewhere or south america he just he did, <laughs> you know, filipino people out there and everything else he, he really refused to believe that it was being that something of that larger capacity was actually already being uh you know developed here in the philippines so that's the problem. Is, is we, we I think we've just done. We haven't done a really good job of communicating to the public what the real possibility is of this grass. Everybody, this the solar and the wind is the real sexy stuff. That's what every, that's what's on the news every night. That's what everybody's talking about all the time. We've had uh, financial advisors that we're working with to help us uh, get the funding to run these projects. Actually, tell us that you know that. You know even when they bring up the biomass they are kind of mystified because they haven't actually heard of it all they've ever heard about with for investment was solar and wind so convincing these guys that we actually have something that's uh you know a better option and uh, is is uh difficult it's it's been somewhat of a challenge but i see things turning around uh what's going on now in in europe uh is is woken up a lot of people's eyes that uh you, you really can't be dependent on other people for your for your fuel. We're gonna to have to be self-sufficient. And biomass, like Danny says, it gives you base load power. You can run 24, seven, 365 days a week in these power plants off of the biomass. You just cannot do that with solar and, and wind and, and these types of uh, systems. And so I think that the Philippines is actually in a very good position to become, uh, Renewable energy is sufficient. You know they they really could do it and totally block you know go away from uh, fossil fuels. Um, But it's going to take some communication. And there's there's also you know there's other people with other biomass type uh, technologies who you know uh, will you know try to plant the wrong seed in people's ears about what what you're actually doing. So you know, but we're at the point now where. Lamsung is going, has been going for almost five, no, six or seven years now, and they're very happy with the way the things are going. I think they're up to almost 800 hectares in that plantation. Uh, we've started a, a project over in Tatkawayan in the Kazon province where we, we're setting up nurseries where we plan on putting in at least 300 uh, hectares of the napier grass plantation for just one unit. The idea is to put in eight of them. So. Um, that's a considerable acreage and that means employment for a lot of people. That means, uh, you know, base load power for the local populations that right now deal with the brownout almost every day. And so this, you know, this is really things are going to take off. We're starting to, you know, we've have, we have some politicians now too, that are starting to understand better what we're doing and they're promoting it. So things are, things are turning around for us in that regard.
0: Renewable energy is very promising indeed, Doc Frank and uh, Engineer Dan. But I'm just wondering, how's the government support in relation to the development of this renewable energy and its related initiatives?
2: Well, after the law was passed for renewable energy, uh, there were very few foreign investment coming in. Well, because inherent in in the the constitution that uh, foreign investment uh, cannot own hundred percent, so and own the land uh, where where the power plant will be installed. So there, that uh, current regulatory environment must be. Uh, change or improve to attract more private sector investments in bioenergy projects. Um, So far, uh, all the the, the regulations of the Department of Energy, as well as the uh, local financing banks are involved. They are very supportive, but uh, these projects, requires massive investment so that's why we need more private uh, foreign private uh, banks and private investments to do this project
3: well uh danny and uh, frank uh, it seems that you know this is really good to go into renewable energy and particularly when it comes to biomass energy this actually entails growing crops, right? Such as Napier in in your case. Now I have an interesting question. How does, you know, a a huge uh, acreage of Napier plantation and the use of Napier Napier as feedstock in energy would impact on the lives of the farmers or the local communities?
2: Okay, Uh, because uh, biomass is very, you can use it as a feedstock to produce biocoal as a replacement for coal. You can also use it uh, to generate syngas and hydrogen. So, the when the farm will produce uh, will will plant napier grass for biocoal production. We only use the uh, bottom part of the the, the stalks. The tops of the napier grass will not be used in the uh, process of producing bio coal, so the tops can be used as animal feeds, uh, for for cattle, uh, for goat uh, raising. So there will be multiple business for the farmers uh, because we lease the land of the farmers. They have a annual income uh, for the lease of the land, but we will also provide uh, assistance for them to. Uh, set up their, uh, say, daily farm or uh, just uh, breeding of uh, animals using the tops of the uh, the napier grass. But if you use for uh, syngas uh, production or hydrogen, the farmers will now be using a hydrogen fuel bike, hydrogen fuel generator sets in their in their houses or in their uh, motor in their banka or for fishermen so this this can also be uh used as fuel for smaller uh, cars and transport uh, equipment
1: <clears throat> yep yes and uh, and so this is going to have a considerable economic impact on the 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 local folks there, the people who are renting their land from. Um, the social economics is something that we take very seriously. Matter of fact, one of the things that I've been, you know, always wanting to bring up is to find an academic scientist who can actually follow this uh, from the, you know, before we actually get started to um, doing a study to see how, what the actual social economic, economic impact is on the introduction of this new, it's going to be a new commodity type crop. It's going to be a, a very substantial crop. Um, maybe even could be even larger than sugarcane in the end, um, as far as acreage. So this offers all sorts of different opportunities for for the, the people. Now, something we didn't talk about at all is carbon credits. This particular crop is going to sequester an enormous amount of carbon into the soil. They, it, this these this napier grass is a crop that you plant once you re, you don't need to. Re, replant for another 10 or 15 years if it's managed properly so that means you're not disturbing the soil surface which is you know one of the keys for releasing op- or co2 into the environment so you're not doing that these plants have massive root structures and that's all carbon so those roots that are you know under there are holding into the soil an enormous amount of carbon so what's, what's going to have to be done is, is we're going to have to you know uh, Establish a, a carbon credit for that. There's getting to be c- different countries are coming up with different mathematical models or different algorithms to, to assess that. We'll have to in, engage in that. But then what's going to happen is is that the tax base, the local tax base is going to increase considerably. So the folks that are living in these areas where we're growing these crops are going to have better roads, they're going to have better schools, they're going to have better civil, civic buildings, they're going to have all these things that come along with having a, a more a uh, you know sustainable and regenerable agricultural system. So you know from an economic perspective we see this as being a real boom. Uh, the place that we're working with in Togawayan, the, the local government there is all over it. they understand it, they, they uh, respect it and that, that's one of the reasons why things are going so well there is because we really have we've managed to get people really on board because they, they understand and they see the opportunity um, from a social economic perspective. So it's very, very important question, uh, Noel. That's a good, it's good one. People need to understand that. That's something we need to, to emphasize uh, probably a little more.
3: Yeah. Yes, uh, yeah, I, I agree, uh, Engineer Dan. Um, those are in fact uh, very important uh, consideration for uh, investments and the funding and also bank uh, financing. Now, it's just a question that I'm interested also to know is that, you know, considering that both of you have this uh, long years of experience uh, developing, you know, renewable energy, and particularly biomass uh, as a source of uh, energy, um, what is is your word of advice uh, with regards to this subject matter?
2: Okay. um, Well, the when you look at the the requirements worldwide uh renewable uh, energy is used for electricity and also for uh, transportation fuel uh, for only biomass that can be uh, uh, made into natural gas or crude oil so this type uh, of technology they call it drop in technology so if our petroleum refineries need more crude oil because in the near future crude oil will be very much expensive because it's very deep already and uh, uh, crude oil from biomass can be produced using the technologies uh, already proven but there are still very few installations that are now uh, being done, mostly in the U.S. and in Europe. But biomass uh, for Asia Pacific is is uh, a very abundant, in, especially in a tropical country. You know the techno- the the science behind converting this uh, uh, biomass already uh, embedded in the under uh, under the earth. Uh, the same science can be duplicated. You can produce crude oil or uh, a gas or a natural gas uh, in just 30 minutes. So it's just the scaling it up into producing the drop in fuel required by, uh, by the refineries, biorefineries. Uh, power can be from wind or solar, uh, but uh, biomass can also provide the other products that the energy requirement, uh, the energy required in the world.
3: Now, now Frank, maybe you'd also right. like to share uh, your word of advice. You know, particularly what's happening now uh, in in the world. You know, where we have war yeah, I, uh, taking place. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think it's a good time to be. Uh, the governments and the, and the industry to be taking advantage of this because, uh, and not only that, I was listening to just a, a podcast the other day about the financial situation of, of bringing bio, uh, renewable energies into Southeast Asia in particular. And the, uh, the, you know, the the time is right. There are, in the developed world, trillions and trillions of dollars that investors are wanting to put into this tech- type of technology. And, and, it, and a lot of them actually do want to come into Southeast Asia, but, uh, Danny made some good points. You know, so there's some of the, there are reasons why people that have gone preferably to Thailand, Malaysia, and Indonesia to do some of this work rather than the Philippines. There ha- have been some pretty restrictive laws, especially considering the, uh, you know the Honor, equity yeah ownership. yeah yeah equity ownership in companies and not with that the inability to actually own the land um mm-hmm. so they're, they're it's, a, it's to them that increases the risk and so they you know these people of course are very risk averse uh, but now seeing what's happening in europe i think that they're I, it looks to me like they're willing to accept a higher level of risk nowadays because uh there's just a lot of things going on that no one would have imagined even six months ago would be happening in, in, in the world right now um with this pandemic everyone has realized too that uh you know look what happened with the shipping and the transporting and everything else it, it made uh you know that the whole world had came practically coming to a stop what are you going to do when you can't get your cargo ships moving with oil or you can't get your uh, your your, mm. your liquid petroleum uh, gas to, to where it needs to be um so, this is a good time to be doing it. You know, I think we just need to be find the, the right investors, uh, find the right people to get in, involved and interested in it, and uh, make the move because uh, uh, these fossil fuels aren't going to last forever. You know, and, and you see in Indonesia already they're they're stopping the export of uh, coal from their coal. country yeah. to Korea, to China, to the Philippines. I mean, I don't know what we're going to do, and you know, because. These assets is <laughs> where they've been getting this lignite coal is from uh, Indonesia. Uh, the, the, there's not a big domestic uh, supply of coal in the Philippines, so or other gases, you know, oils or uh, natural gas. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, I I think it's time for the investors and the but the politicians to embrace this and jump on it. Uh, make the make some policies that are very conducive to allowing for public partner private uh, pr- partner, <laughs> private uh, public partnerships, the PPPs that everybody's hearing about, there's some great mm-hmm. opportunities and some of the things we're trying to do in, 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 uh, province is to work with the LGUs, to work with the local co-ops and to work with the company to put together a program that's going to allow them to be self-sufficient in electricity through mm-hmm. embedded power. Um, you know, those, this is the time to be doing it. It really is. And there's lots of land in this country that's available this is a, i mean it's unbelievable the amount of land that's just idle uh beautiful lands you know they've been deforested probably 100 years ago or more and just left you know that's just they're still there and they're they're very fertile they're very capable of growing uh the napier grass most of these places are just growing um, native grasses, you know, just wild. It's, it's not even good for, not even really good for grazing. Even Carabao have a hard time eating it. It's, it's kind of razor blade sharp. So the, the potential is just huge right now. So that's, that's where I pretty much stand on that.
0: Very well said, uh, Doc Frank and Engineer Dan. Are there any new initiatives that you're working with that you would like to share with our podcast listening audience? And most importantly, what are the easiest way of uh, reaching you?
2: Yeah, the initiatives we are now doing is uh, we call it the distributed power generation. Uh, as you may know, the the electric cooperative uh, installations in the provinces uh, are located where there are a lot of idle lands surrounding it. So if uh this can be harnessed and put up uh, small power plants for every substation like uh the one we're doing in in caisson uh a 10 megawatt power plant uh, will be uh, installed a nearby uh, substation that will take care of the distribution of the power generated from the biomass plant well uh, And we would like to uh, increase this installation to all electric cooperatives nationwide, where there is a problem now of getting power from more than 400, 500 kilometers away from major coal power plant. And they lost around 25% of line losses, you know. But the consumer is still paying for that. So with embedded power, there is no line loss and there is a security of power supply even during typhoon when the main grid uh, lines will be inoperable. So with uh, embedded power, you can uh, assure that your area of distribution will have power. So you can uh, reach us by uh, I, I, uh, my, my cell phone number. 0917 523 3175. We're happy to, uh, to talk to anyone who's interested on renewable energy. Uh, frank?
1: Yeah, so uh, I could be reached at uh, the easier one would be email, it would be just frank, f-r-a-n-k, dot shotkoski, which is s-h-o-t-k-o-s-k-i at gmail.com. Or in my phone number that I use for the, uh, the uh, company is 916 482 4711 So you can reach me at, the, at those uh, those numbers. But you know, Danny mentioned too, that just a bit ago, that there is a, you know, this is more than just one thing, you know, uh, that we can produce using this biomass. If you're looking at solar, you just well, electricity. If you're looking at wind, it's just electricity. But we can produce hydrogen gas, which is going to be the future of power. We can produce petroleum oil, we can produce uh sin gas, we can produce mm. biochar or bio coal, um, mm. just from this from the same material. And and not only that, these these systems that we put together can be adjusted so that it has multiple ways things it can make, and so that isn't just gonna be a plant that can make just biocoal or a plant that's going to be just hydrogen gas, or a plant that's just going to be uh, petroleum oil, it, it'll have the ability to make these different types of uh, renewable energies, which is going to make it much more valuable, much more profitable for the, you know, the, the areas who are in need of the energy. So it's really important, I think, to grasp yep. that concept that this is not just a one-off, you know.
0: Well, thanks so much, uh, Engineer Dan and Dr. Frank, and for sharing us your insightful views on renewable energy. We wish you all the best in the future.
1: Uh, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Uh, yeah. hope- thank you very much. Yeah, you us trying to communicate, that this is really important for us. Yes, thank
2: you. The
0: we would like to hear from you. Share us your thoughts regarding our topics and send us a message on the Anchor Voice message box. Your message could end up in our future podcast episode. Make sure you never miss any episodes of Variables Unknown Podcast by clicking the subscribe button or follow us on Spotify, Anchor.fm, and other affiliated podcast platforms. This concludes our podcast episode today. Thank you for listening to Variables Unknown podcast. With your host, Ed Angelus and Dr. Noel Miranda. Until our next episode...